Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Spoiler Warning Podcast. This is review number 565 with our review of Spider-Man Far From Home. Uh, I'm Stephen Miller, and if you're joining us for the first time, uh, the Spoiler Warning Podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week on the show, we're going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest film releases coming to a theater near you. Uh, This week, Chris, uh, my co-host, the main host of the podcast, is very far from home, uh, all the way in Ireland, actually. Uh, So we brought in a co-host, someone that might be familiar to you if you've been here for a while, and that person is, drumroll, Carson Patrick. Hey, aw, babe. Uh, Thanks. (laughs) Oh, it feels so right to have you back, Carson. I guess it hasn't been that long, but it feels like it's been a long time. Yeah, well, I was like Frankensteined into the, you know, the the recap. But yeah, I guess if you count that, it hasn't been that long. I don't know. Before that, it was Infinity Brunch, I think, right? No, I came back for uh, Sicario and um, uh, The Predator. Oh, yeah, that's right. The Predator. Oh, it's been no time. Yeah, obviously. When when I was setting up when I was setting up for this podcast, I was looking at um, when is the last time I had a, Sky, a Skype message with you, and it was in late 2017 for Geostorm when we did that <laughs> review together. Right, and Killing of the Sacred Deer, which we were doing some really spot on Colin Farrell accents uh, before oh, yeah. recording. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> which is uh, yeah. I don't want to get sidetracked, but I have a story to tell you about that after this. So, listeners, you can really wait for that one off air. Yep. Anyway. Maybe I'll keep you guys posted in the next episode. Uh, So, for starters, we have a lot of things we want to try to get to uh, while Chris is away. Uh, A thing I thought would be fun, it's kind of like just a warm-up exercise, is what I'd call Carson Hot Takes. Carson, if you're cool with it. So, I'm I'm just going to say the name of a movie we reviewed in the last few months you're going to tell me basically like you loved it, you liked it, you hated it, it was okay. You know, you know, whatever whatever you want to do. All right. Okay. Uh first one I'm throwing at you is Toy Story 4. Uh I liked it for the most part. Uh, I did not like, which I told you guys, I did not like the viewing experience that I had, which was hell on earth. Oh no. Um <laughs> which well, that's, you know, hyperbolic but it was a glimpse of hell and that was uh a theater full of uh you know unruly children and then a mom who had the worst smelling perfume of all time perfume allergy (laughs) perfume allergy martin Starr was really bringing it back in this movie i was like oh oh my god that's me watching toy story 4 a little when martin Starr said that like did she feel personally victimized she definitely felt uh, Sarah and I's uh, our disdain for her and her children because we immediately put our hoods up. It was like hoods up ghost protocol immediately. So I'm <laughs> blocking them out. I'm like, I, I muttered like, F- oh, fuck. And like, it smells so bad. Like, I just kept like saying <laughs> shit probably way too loud. And she definitely heard me. And then she like pulled out the cookies and like, I know. And then that's when you told me about your men in black experience which Duffel was bag man that oh, definitely God. that definitely <laughs> usurped a perfume woman but um <laughs> yeah speaking of men in black men in black international how did you feel um i i will say that uh i was pretty harsh on men in black 3 when that came out we reviewed that yeah and sarah and i were watching it 
shortly after we saw International on on TV. It was on like FX or something. And um, uh, we did not know what we had with Men in Black 3. I will say that. (laughs) At least Men in Black 3 still had Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones and Josh Brolin as young Tommy Lee. Um, Yeah, Men in Black 3, I would go back and, and change my opinion, my rating on that one for sure. I can respect that. Yeah. Uh, the Dead Don't Die. I, well, you know, I loved that movie for sure. Uh, yeah. I, I enjoyed it a lot more than you guys did. <laughs> I, I thought it was, I thought it was a lot of fun. Like, it felt like a zombie movie made by uh, Jim Jarmusch. Um, yeah. And I, 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 I dug, like, the meta-ness and, like, just... It was just like, you know, the kind of go for brokeness, but it also was like a really good zombie movie, I thought. Like it went back to the roots of zombie movies where it was not really about the horror, it was about like the metaphor. Um so I, I like that. I like that one a lot. Yeah, I, I definitely did like the zombies in that movie. I feel like Yeah, like the the like Chris and I were relatively negative, so it was hard for me to get in that like I thought the zombie design and everything about them was pretty awesome. Yeah, like they like when they killed the zombies and they were just like kinda like ash. Yeah. Uh, or like dirt yeah, they or get whatever. Flipped away. Yeah, like yeah, like that like that was cool. Like that was a like I haven't seen that, so that was like a new take. It wasn't just, you know uh yeah. yeah. Uh, Rocket was, Man. Uh, I plead the fifth. Thumbs down. <laughs> no, I mean it wasn't. It wasn't that bad. I liked it better than uh, Bohemian Rhapsody for sure. Oh God, I th- yeah. <laughs> I thought Taron. I thought Taron Egerton was was awesome. Um, and um, I just wish the movie. I mean, the movies are virtually the same. Like they've followed all the same beats, even though Rocket Man kind of strayed away from the formula a little bit um you know they still in the end they were still uh you know they still follow like the formula that walk hard parodied to death you know yeah um and and for a movie that was like touted as like a warts and all like hard r movie i thought it felt like really tame i can't believe it was touted that way this is such a like gentle movie about his life i know i know and i i like uh, to me, and I feel like this is, and I mean this sincerely, I think we got the real Rocket Man biopic in Kingsman 2. Like, mm. that was, that felt like the real Elton John, uh, like... D- definitely warts and all. <laughs> yeah, like, like out of, like, out of the box, extravagant. Like, that felt like the real Elton John, <laughs> like, biopic. <laughs> like, that, that sort of energy, that's what, yeah... Um, all right and last but not least the most relevant to today's episode the one that we all wanted to know about back when it happened avengers endgame which you have a name for that we didn't want to steal on the podcast oh well yeah i thought you were just going to use it that's fine ren game yeah we finally cracked that one (laughs) um uh yeah i mean i i told you i didn't want to be on that one because i just would just repeat myself from uh infinity branch which i was just I was just in the middle on it. Like I, I have, I have nothing more to, to really add. Like it, it was a very boring answer. It would be very boring. It would just be me kind of sitting in the back while you guys talk about time travel or something. <laughs> <laughs> I 
as you're like so, ah, sounds like okay. a good summary of the podcast <laughs> right um oh but you forgot book smart oh yeah book smart we we went over this beforehand i knew what was happening um yeah i think out of all those that you were gonna tell me that was the one i liked the most <laughs> nice I, I couldn't actually tell if you were going to really be into Booksmart or if you were going to see it as, like, trying too hard. No, that movie was that movie was fucking great. I wish Olivia Wilde was directing this new Batman movie. That's been my uh, running joke um, <laughs> for, like, the last few. Like, when they announced Robert Pat. I don't know why. I think it was just because I saw Booksmart, like, right before they announced robert pattinson as batman and i was just like can they just have olivia wilde direct the batman i'd much rather see that now how would you feel if claire denis directed the new batman movie well that would be great too but that would never happen (laughs) that would never happen um yeah Ah. cool so that that was a good warm-up um so like we definitely like some things uh, and some listeners of the podcast actually enjoy our opinions contrary to popular belief Uh, i think you had one in particular that you wanted to give a shout out to uh yeah since i haven't been on a while and i didn't respond to it uh online which was our our one and only uh super fan came in he left us a nice comment on the alita review um uh unfortunately i have not seen by bust i keep saying i will and i haven't Ooh, I, I know i was gonna be on you know when we when you guys talked about it but that didn't work out um and i, I still want to watch it and judge it for myself but uh i haven't seen it yet um but and also um i think he said that i that he thought i would like alita Unfortunately, Alita was not for me. I'm sorry. Mm. Um, but again, I guess very uh, stereotypical me comment would be the the best part of Alita was the theme song by Dua Lipa. The, <laughs> this is not a swan song. <laughs> swan song, swan dive. Thank you. Um, and the, it's funny because in the music video for that, she's like playing like a version of Alita. And it's like it's like her like doing the fight moves, and it's like clips of the movie and stuff. And I was like, they could have just used her as Alita and avoided all this uncanny valley CGI. So that's just yeah, my that, that uncanny valley was rough. That, that yeah, that really made it kind of strange to watch that movie. So, uh, although I did like Rosa Salazar as the as the voice. Like her voice, like was good as Alita, but I mean, you know, you know me, that just wasn't for me. So, um, but I admire Cayman's dedication of seeing it like four times in the theater. I think he said something. I think he said that <laughs> somewhere in here. I could be. Uh, anyway, I'm not gonna go back and I'm not gonna fact check. Why do that? <laughs> that kind of patience is what makes someone listen to us for this long. <laughs> yes, um, but he did. He did say. Uh, yeah, he did name drop a movie, which was the movie Shadow, uh, which is a new Zhang Yimou uh, movie, which he had as his favorite movie of last year because uh, it was released overseas last year. But uh, it didn't wasn't released here until uh, May. So I did go see that when it came out. And that movie is fucking awesome. Um, 
uh, I know that, um, you know, Zhang Yimou's gotten a lot of critical acclaim. You know, he's known for very visually stunning movies, uh, Hero, House of Flying Daggers. Uh, I know I've talked several different times about The Great Wall, which is, I think, criminally underrated, uh, very entertaining, also visually awesome. Um, he's like one of the few directors that earns the like from the visionary director tag when they always, you know, when they throw that shit up in trailers. Um, I think he's like one of the few directors to, to actually like earn that. Um, and this movie shadow is like no different. Like it's, I'll try to explain it succinctly, which means I won't, um, (laughs) so the movie is in color, but it's it looks like it's in black and white. So like all of the sets, all of the costumes, uh, the makeup, like everything is, uh, made and done in, uh, every shade, like monochromatic shade. Um, so like, you know, all of the sets are, are like gray and black and white. So it, it, it's in color, but it looks like it's in black and white. Like it's a really like trippy, like, it's crazy. And you'd think, like, since, you know, you have this completely monochromatic color scheme, it's going to look boring and bland, but it doesn't. It looks just as colorful as his other movies because they've literally, like, built the set, like, painted the sets to look this way. They've made the costumes. They've, like, made the costumes to look gray and these different shades of gray, you know? Yeah. Um so it's really, really cool to watch. Um, and then it does, a, you know, it kind of does, um, like, as the movie progresses, you know, we get, like, these big fight scenes and, like, people will get stabbed. And so, like, the 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 color of the blood looks, like, very striking because it's standing out on this, like, literal gray canvas um so there's like a lot of that and like the main character like his his like uh facial features start to become more flesh toned as like you know his character arc progresses and as the movie goes on and blah 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 so like there's like a lot of like really trippy shit like that where you're just like like i haven't seen a movie done this way before and it was fucking nuts like this is just like the approach to this movie is insane and I would say if it's playing in a theater near you, go see it. But I'm pretty sure it's way out of theaters by now. Um, I mean, so, do you know if it's streamable yet? And do you think it would transfer well? Or do you really want to be on a big screen to like catch all the detail? I mean, obviously, it would be ideal to see it on a big screen. But um, uh, it's not. I did check. It's not available to rent until August 13th on iTunes. Uh, hmm. and other places I would imagine. But I will uh, definitely pencil it in because that like the look and feel alone sounds pretty awesome. Yeah. It's it's really, really cool. And this, I don't know if maybe uh Cayman you can tell us. Um I don't know if it was this way in like the international release, but when I went to see it there was this like um there was this opening text um that's in english and so already i'm thrown off cuz i was like isn't this movie like subtitled like why is this in english like what the fuck 
And then, so it's this, like, opening brief text, like, kind of, like, explaining, uh, like, where everyone's at. Because the movie just kind of drops you in mid-story. Um, and so they kind of try to give, like, a little bit of backstory so you know. But honestly, it doesn't do any help. Because, like, there's they start throwing up character names and you're like, wait a minute, who's that? Why is this in English? And then it, mm. it goes by, like, super fast. So, like, I didn't read any of it, but it's, like, I have a feeling that was only there for us dumb Americans. They're, like, they're not going to know. They need they need some context. But it, it – I mean, I don't think, like – so I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if that was the case everywhere else. Hmm. Um, so were, because, were subtitles really fast, too? Because I saw – a few a few Chinese language movies recently, and all of them, I've had trouble following the subtitles. I, I don't know why, like, especially Hong Kong movies. It feels like they'll just blip for, like, two seconds and then go away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, I don't remember them being that way in this, but, I mean, everyone's talking, like, really fast. Uh, but I don't remember the subtitles being, like, too quick. But this opening text was, like... It was like a joke. I was literally like, wait a minute. I didn't read any of that shit. And then it starts and I was just like, like, we didn't need that because like they drop you in kind of like, you know, uh, they drop you in you know, right away. But like you obviously like you, you begin to figure out like what's happening. It's not like, you know, it's that confusing. So uh, yeah, it, it isn't like context always helps right it's kind of better no. to get to know characters in the thick of it probably plus if you're like me i was like i don't give a shit about the context i was like i'm here to see this fucking crazy uh, like black and white colorful movie <laughs> <laughs> um which yeah like if if you have like you know but obviously you start everything you know starts to come together and you're like okay now i see where this is going um but it's just it's you know the whole time it's great to look at so it's yeah, that, that, that very was interesting. a good good wreck. Thanks, nice. Kevin. Yeah, yes. So anyway, I think we've covered I've covered yeah. all that. I've caught up with the with the comments. So speaking of good wrecks, because we want to be a positive podcast, and in fact <laughs> you so you've gotten a reputation occasionally on the show as being quote contrarian. Uh contrarian Patrick, I believe, was Chris's uh, description before but there are movies that go the other direction there are movies that chris cannot stand that you will happily go to bat for uh, and one of those movies much like hannah and planet of the apes uh, i decided to try to watch and help you relitigate after the fact uh, and that movie was vox lux um i believe yes. chris chris and a few people i know actually strongly disliked this movie because they felt like it so i don't know what is told in the summary and what isn't i i think the the rental i looked at talks about a school shooting so i feel like i'm allowed to spoil that at least yeah um, that's been that's i feel like is known yeah so so you know vox lux is the natalie portman as a pop star movie that is kind of about how did this character become who she is and what does fame do to her and you know like kind of a character study of the the sort of egomaniac that would become a massive pop star and what builds them and it opens with a school shooting uh in the late 90s and a lot of people i think were kind of turned off by that they felt like that didn't get justified by the rest of the film and 
I liked it pretty well, actually. Like, I, I feel like maybe it helped that I was prepared for that to be it. But this kind of, it felt like an interesting story of, like, the 21st century, right? Where it's a combination of, like, the cotton candy pop and all, like, the happy-go-lucky music of our generation contrast with all the terrible things that kids have to grow up with. And I feel like, <laughs> like Celeste, uh, as a singer, she's kind of, like, the representation of that, where she is at once, like, right. surviving something terrible, and she is kind of, like, terrible to a lot of people in her life, but then she channels it to this, let's not think about it, let's just dance um, and I think there were there were a lot of things in this movie that I liked. I, I like Willem Dafoe's voiceover uh, quite oh, yeah. a bit. It reminded me of Listen Up, Philip, actually. Yeah. The, like it, I don't know if it was sardonic exactly, but it felt like the movie wasn't asking us to take the reality too seriously. Like the voiceover kind of made it feel like a oh like yeah a, for sure a fairy tale of this. Character. It was a movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> movie and, voiceover. And she is a little bit like the Philip character where like she kind of takes herself very seriously and the narrator doesn't always take her as seriously as she takes herself. Um, I, I dug that dynamic a lot. Uh, I liked both Natalie and the actress who plays young Celeste in this movie. I felt like they... Oh, that was the girl from... Uh, that was the daughter in Killing of the Sacred Deer. Oh, yeah, that's right. I yeah. really believed her as a young Natalie Portman. I can't tell if she was talking like Natalie Portman or if Natalie Portman was talking like her, if they both just decided to talk like Jackie Kennedy for another movie. <laughs> um, but it, well, yeah, it was, it, yeah, like they, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, you totally buy it. And then it's pretty trippy when she then shows up and is playing her daughter. So there's obviously like the themes of, you know, um, yeah, there's just a lot of like rebirth and like, you know, her passing along her. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Like, like I think, so this movie can be broken into kind of two sections. There's the first half of her becoming Celeste, and then the second half of the day in the life of that superstar. And the first half, I feel like, could be summarized by... There's one scene where Celeste is kind of practicing music or getting ready to perform, and she's listening to the Dawson's Creek theme song oh, while yeah. like the radio is playing like very, very, very dark Bush-era politics about... like war and riot and all the terrible things going on in the world. And I think that mashup of like the world is going to hell and our popular culture is getting more and more kind of positive and fluffy and relatable. I think that was really like the driving force of the movie. Uh, I oh, love yeah. Natalie Portman's performance in this movie. I think she's oh, yeah. like really good as a kind of, I wish I'd seen her smell along with this, because I feel like the movies would like talk to each other a lot. Um, but she's definitely playing a kind of like un very hard to like person who conjures everything into being this grand pop star vision. And I, I dug it a lot. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, she makes, uh, Elizabeth Moss and her smell look, uh, yeah, she like, <laughs> I feel like Natalie Portman is, way more unlikable um but obviously the more unlikable the more i'm 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 into it i mean the you yeah. know i don't even necessarily think it's really contrarian anymore i just think that like my taste has just gone you know it's like okay this is what i like i know if i know if the, the movie's going to be this way which i had a good idea of what Vox Lux was going to give us um especially since and 
you know, we were kind of joking and giving Chris a hard time when he was having his meltdown. Um, and he was talking about like Brady Corbett, who's the writer director of this. Um, he was at, I guess he did a Q and a when Chris saw it. And like that to me is already funny because seeing him, I've seen him do interviews and I feel like he is kind of like, almost kind of like a Nicholas winning Refn where you don't know if he's like joking. Like it, he's kind of like really playing into like the pretentious side of things. Yeah. Um, but I think he's aware of like, yeah, I'm, I'm the guy who was in all these artsy movies, you know, back in the day acting. Um, and now I'm making this movie, um, which I don't know if you saw the childhood of a leader, but that was the first movie he did with our pats, uh, which was basically about young Hitler, um, and that movie is also very much like this, where it's, uh, it just kind of has that, like, I guess, like, really, like, hardcore, like, European, like, Lars von Trier, you know, like, that kind of style of movie, uh, which would make sense, because, like, of all the movies Brady Corbett's been in, like, Mysterious Skin and, and Melancholia oh, and yeah. the Funny Games remake, like, these are all from the, quote, auteurs that make these, like, really controversial hardcore movies and remember we like even joke like there was that one year where he showed up in like all the like european auteur movies it was like clouds of sils maria yeah uh force majeure like there there was another one where he was like the guy which is i was like fucking brady corbett's and all this shit um <laughs> so it would totally like this the fact that he made this movie like when it opens with a school shooting, I was like, "Yeah, of course Brady Corbett would do that." Like that's mm. that's I would expect nothing less from this. But it's not just because like, oh, I want to open it with this to to be like button pushing or controversial. It's like I feel like it's actually very integral to the movie. Like it's like kind of like what you're saying. Like and also it's the 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 sort of subtitle tagline of the movie is Vox Lux, a 21st century portrait. Right. As the uh, end credits go up backwards, silent, which is yep. all, which when you saw it, when I saw it in the theater, when we saw it in the theater it was great because then you hear everybody walking out go, what the fuck was that? That was fucking <laughs> stupid. What? Fuck this movie. Um, so that was funny. But, but I mean, like, I feel like it is a 21st century. Like, this is like maybe the most, like, it's a movie for sure. And there's a lot of like outlandish things in it, but like it's scary like some of the like accurate like the the idea of her becoming a pop star out of a tragedy like we see that happen all the time now like that's yeah like that kind of stuff happen and and the idea that like you know um like this like pop culture and like the sort of fluff uh entertainment style like uh reporting is just news now like that right and and the copycat thing too where like right the pop culture that came from hardship then becomes an ironic thing that is wielded by the people who are doing terrible shit yeah like that all felt very true to me also have you ever read or i think they did an hbo miniseries on empire falls uh no oh i i mean i remember that but I, i never watched it yeah, so I've never seen it, but I, I read the book, and, and that's a book that, God, I don't, I don't, I don't want to spoil it, but it, it has some similar things where it's like about this century, and it uses some big kind of violent moments as a button on it, and mm-hmm. like I really love that book, and this reminded me of that a lot. I, 
there's actually a lot with the school shooter character in this that reminded me of someone in that book that makes me wonder if Brady Corbett read it and kind of got inspired by it. Um, anyway, I've, I've been all positive. And the truth is, I like I, I like this movie. I didn't love the movie, though. Um, mm. The things I didn't love, one, it felt kind of lopsided to me. Like, I felt like there was a ton of time with young Celeste. And then yeah. Natalie Portman's character... I got to see enough to really enjoy her performance, but I didn't, I felt like, like you talked about uh, there being a full arc in, I forget what movie you were talking about earlier. <laughs> oh, oh, oh uh, Her Smell her, off, her off smell, Mike, yeah. about yeah, it having yeah. a full arc. And I feel like this movie had like two thirds of an arc. Like I, I was missing a little bit of, not closure, but I, I was missing a little bit for it to feel like a complete story about her. Um, well, I mean... I mean, I, I'm not going to spoil it, but I think I felt closure at the end when Willem Dafoe comes back in and tells us the reason why Natalie Portman's character is really here. Mm-hmm. And that was when I was like, oh, fuck. Like, that's just, I mean, that was the part where it really kind of sealed it to me. I was like, okay, yeah, like this is, and then that's the other thing too, is that, you know, she's they're kind of treating her the movie is kind of treating her as a pop star as like you know she's like kind of like a disease right like right what she's putting out into the world is isn't great um and then the ironic part of that is that sia made all these really great songs for the movie like they're like total bangers like the soundtrack for this movie is great but it's also funny that when natalie portman uh, performs most of them at the end in the big concert. It's funny how she like she performs like most of them, but it's like it's like you're at it's like you're the the feeling is you're like you're at the actual concert, so you can't hear like any of the lyrics. Like it's so weird yeah. how it's like the it's like this anti musical because it's all wrapped around music, and then you hear maybe like you know, a couple lyrics of the song and then that's yeah, it. Yeah, and like I've listened, I've listened to some of the Sia songs and they are really good and the way the movie plays it, and again, it's like, it's trying to undercut your expectations. So you think it's going to be the big triumphant concert where you feel right. like, wow, whatever negative things in her life, this, you know, this is the yellow brick road running through Glasgow moment, right? This is the one that's going to make <laughs> us. And and this is not that. Like, this is trying to make it be, like, the chaos of performing, I think. Okay, where, like, this is, yeah. This is, oh, sorry, but, like, this is not a spoiler at all. But, like, didn't you think that, like, like, I was ready for some more shit to go down. I was like, there's going to be a fucking, like, bombing or, like, there's going to be some, like, kind of crazy, like, I was half expecting something like that to happen again. But then they drop the the real reason, and then you're like, oh, that's even worse. Yeah. Um, and you're like, yeah, cause, but there's like that, there's like this crazy tension throughout like her whole performance. Um, but yeah, like, yeah, e- EKG, my house is like a heartbeat. Like that's, that song is just great. Like if we go down singing that, fine. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, it, it, that's why it's so funny that they, like, there aren't, they aren't just saying like, oh yeah, like like oh like she's a pop star she's so shitty and horrible like but like they they go the extra length like he went the extra length and made the songs like actually that good like so you're like oh okay i believe that she would become this popular and famous yep um yeah, yeah i, I also, totally also it, it looks also it looks awesome like 
the whole movie looks great, obviously. Um, yeah, I, I did. I really liked especially the the look and feel when they're like in Europe and in LA when she's a teenager. There was oh, yeah. something like a gritty kind of like green color thing that was going on there that I was really enjoying. Yeah, well, it, it just, I mean, he clearly had a vision for the whole thing. And I think like, you know, the overall, like the, the major themes of it, of how like, like pop culture and like terrible tragedies are just one and the same now. Like, I think that really comes through as the like, oh yeah, like this is, this is how it is. Like, that's it. It is a 21st century portrait. Like, totally. Yeah. So what, one last, uh, one last thing I was going to comment on is when I was watching the movie for a while, like when it was in the past and then cut to the future, I was like, wait a minute, Jude Law never ages. This was supposed to be like, <laughs> like what, 16 years. And then I looked yeah. at the cover of Closer with him and Natalie Portman. And I was like, oh no, that's accurate. <laughs> he he oh, just yeah, didn't no, he age in the last 15 years. No. His hairline maybe receded some, but that's it. He looks the fucking same. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, what I was going to say is, like, obviously the movie is not for everybody. It's, like, a really tough movie to sit through. And I know that I told my brother to go see it, and when he saw it, like, he really liked the movie. But, like, I think it was, like, f like maybe four or five days later, like, he texted me. He was like, that movie still fucked me up. Like, I'm still <laughs> fucked up. And I was like, ah, oh, well, you're not as... Not as diseased as us, but see. Well, I, I watched this the night after I, I, I watched this the night after I watched uh, four months, three weeks, two days. <laughs> so this movie felt like kind of uplifting by comparison. Oh my god! Oh well, yeah, for sure. Holy <laughs> shit, that movie's a fucking downer as hell. Yeah. Oh my god, I saw that in theaters and was like, my day, day is over. My day's <laughs> ruined. That's definite day ruiner. And, and you watch movies oh, at like man. ten Did in the morning. See Oh man. Well that that movie's pretty that movie's like over 10 years old now. Yeah. Yeah, I felt like I had to catch up with it cuz I I saw the the Whistlers at uh at Cannes and it it wasn't by the same Romanian director but at least a couple of the stars are the same and a bunch of people were talking about uh 4 months, mm. 3 weeks, 2 days and I was like that's on the list of movies I'm supposed to have watched by now that I've never watched. Oh yeah, that's a classic. Oh, I'm Assuming you didn't watch the the follow up he did, which was like a room, uh, it was like an exorcism movie in a convent. Oh God, no, never! <laughs> I it's, I already did Hereditary think, and Midsummer well, this weekend. I'm never doing another exorcism type movie. Well, it was it was called it was called Beyond the Hills, and it was like a but it was the same like style, like like two and a half hours, like really slow burn, like obviously I say it that way, it it, it is that, but then it's like. Like, like very, like, obviously in the same style as, like, where it's, like, it's very sort of, like, subtle and not laid back, but just, like, it's not, like, you know, a Conjuring movie or something. It's, like, so then it makes it almost more terrifying because you're just, like, oh, it's, like, again, European auteur cinema fucking... Right. Uh, which is like how Vox Lux is, which is, you know, obviously... Yeah, it, it is closer to European, I feel like, than, than most American movies are. Oh, yeah, for sure. 
All right. So if you're 35 minutes in now and all you wanted was a Spider-Man review, I hope you looked at the little chapter markers and hey, skipped ahead. You know where Spider-Man goes. Oh, that's right. He goes to Europe. So. Yep. He's going to Europe. <laughs> um, Segging this shit. Yeah. Yeah. This is a killer segue. Uh, so I think what Chris <laughs> would normally say... Nailed it. What, what Chris would normally say around here um, is... Uh, so we are going to listen to the trailer for Spider-Man Far From Home, and then we're going to come back and give you guys a review. The Spider-Man Far From Home trailer is about to play, but if you haven't seen Avengers Endgame yet, stop watching, because there's some serious spoilers about to come up. But if you have seen Avengers Endgame, enjoy the trailer. Everywhere I go, I see his face. I just really miss him. Yeah, I miss him too. I don't think Tony would have done what he did if he didn't know that you were going to be here after he was gone. You going to be the next Iron Man now? Well, no, I don't have time. I'm too busy doing your jobs. Oh. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Look, keep up the good work because I am going on vacation. Heads up. Nick Fury's calling you. I don't really want to talk to Nick Answer Fury. Phone. Why? Because if you don't talk to him, then I have to talk to him. I don't want to talk to him. You sent Nick Fury to voicemail? I gotta go. You do not ghost Nick Fury. What up, dorks? What's up? We're just talking about the trip. I'm here in St. Marco Polo. Oh, I think MJ really likes me. That reminds me when I first fell in love. You're a very difficult person to contact, Spider-Man. This is Mr. Beck. I could have used someone like you on my world. New world? Beck is from Earth, just not ours. The snap to our hole in our dimension. You're saying there's a multiverse? We have a job to do, and you're coming with us. There's gotta be someone else you can use. What about Thor? Off-world. Captain Marvel. Unavailable. But I'm just a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Bitch, please, you've been to space. What do you want, Peter? I want to go back on my trip with the girl who I really like and tell her how I feel. MJ, I am Spider-Man. No, of course I'm not. I mean, it's kind of obvious. You're right, you may not be ready, but this is my responsibility. Saving the world requires sacrifice. Sometimes people die. Oh my God. I just always feel like I'm putting my friends in danger. The world needs the next Iron Man. Are you going to step up or not? I gotta get you guys out of here. Get on the jet. Who are you? I work with Spider-Man. You work for Spider-Man? I work with Spider-Man, not for Spider-Man. New plan. And we're back. Uh, okay. So Spider-Man Far From Home is the, I'm not counting exactly right. I think it's like the 98th movie in the Marvel franchise this year. Um, and it is the immediate follow-up to Avengers Endgame going back into the arguably small life of Spider-Man, your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, as he goes through Europe, travels through Europe with his friends, and maybe has to fight crime at the same time. Um, Carson, you kind of indicated that 
because of the nature of this movie, you want to dive straight to spoilers after having only super, super, super brief impressions. Yeah. And I so think gonna... I mostly agree. So I'll, I'll let you go first with your brief impression. Yeah, so we're going to just say whether we liked it or not, and then we're going to give our rating, and then that'll be it. So I love this movie. I think it's top three Marvel for me, and it's the closest we've come to being as good as the Sam Raimi Spider-Mans. Must see. That is all. Yeah, I feel very similar. I absolutely loved this movie. I thought it was like extremely funny, and it was also an extremely good superhero movie. It even gets meta into some of the things I dislike <laughs> about the Marvel movies in a way that we'll get into. And yeah, I just thought it w- everybody was great in this movie. I, I could go on in non-spoilery mode, but I think I agree with you that the most fun to be had is just to blow this movie wide open. Uh, so I think that's two very strong recommendations but for the sake of completeness i have to ask you if you could give this a must-see a recommend with a caveat a wait for rental a must avoid or pass with a caveat that's the other one flip those around yeah what would you give it i already skipped ahead and said must see so <laughs> I, I well i was gonna say did you like it better than spidey ho spider-man homecoming spidey I think spider-man <laughs> spidey far from ho was it It's hard to remember because Spidey Ho was definitely up there too for me. Um, I think the joy of seeing a new Spider-Man done well left me very elated in the theater. This movie, I went in with low expectations or pretty low. Like I had seen the trailer shortly after Into the Spider-Verse came out and I was like, this movie looks ridiculous. Why are we still watching this? Um, and, And I was not expecting to really like this movie. So I think... This took me from a lower place into, like, an equally excited feeling at the end. So it's up there. To me, it's close to a tie with Homecoming, if not better. Mm. Well, because I kind of had the opposite. If you recall, when we talked about Homecoming, um, I was not looking forward to that movie and then ended up being uh, relieved and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, happily surprised that it ended up being as good as it was and so i kind of went into this one with a little more expectation um and i honestly this one i think i liked it better and it in some ways like i said i really liked homecoming a lot but in some ways this one kind of makes homecoming just look like trash (laughs) like that's how much i liked it better so yeah. Okay, I have one leading question that I know is just going to gnaw at you for spoilers, but did you like the CG in this movie? Yeah, no, well, we'll talk about that. Okay. We, have, we have another reference point for this. Um, yep. Yeah. Okay, we'll talk about it. I, I think my summary for this movie is I think Spider-Verse is still my favorite of the Spider-Man movies that I've seen recently. But mm. this movie—I oh, yeah, forgot about Spider Verse. Th- this movie comes about as close as I think a quote live action one could to reaching those comic book highs. Uh, so I I felt super happy walking out of this movie. Yeah, well, it's all like fucked because obviously these two are connected to the MCU. Spider Verse is not, and then the Raimi ones obviously aren't. Yeah, so, Venom. Do we even know how we feel about Venom? Venom. <laughs> Ven- do we Venom think is... they're going to collide at some point in the future? 
Venom is uh, supposedly is connected to the Spider-Man universe, but not to the MCU. So there's that. <laughs> um, and then there's like, <laughs> oh, and then we forgot about Amazing Spider-Man. Those two, which those I are... actually quite like. Those movies. Uh, I feel like everybody history has not smiled on them at all. But I mostly like them. I just think these new ones are way better. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Um, oh, yeah. Any, cool. Anyway. Okay, so I think we have plenty to talk about in the spoiler section. Uh, hopefully us being very positive will convince you to go and see this movie if you haven't seen it already. Stop the podcast now. Stop whatever you're doing. Uh, and I think that means we do the outro now. Uh, oh, I feel like we should also say that we're obviously going to have to spoil Ren Game, but if you haven't seen oh, that by now... Yeah, yeah, Ren Game spoilers are completely on the table. Um, I'm pretty sure everyone has seen it by now. <laughs> Okay, so the typical outro we do, uh, that's going to do it for this episode. So, Carson Patrick, if people want to find you throughout the week, where can they do that? Uh, I, don't have any, <laughs> I don't have anything good to say. I don't have anything <laughs> clever to say. Uh, just please don't Photoshop me into the Instagram page. I, I won't do that. That's I would never request. do that to you. <laughs> I um, don't... I don't know. I'm, I'm nowhere to be found. I don't have anything to pimp. Uh, you can find me at twitter.com slash sdavidmiller or sdavidmiller.com. You can find the podcast over at thespoilerwarning.com where you can find a bunch of the back episodes of the show. If you want to subscribe to the podcast, you can do it at Overcast, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever podcasts are found. If you want to know when the episodes go live, you can follow us at twitter.com slash spoilerwarning, facebook.com slash thespoilerwarning, or as Carson referenced, instagram.com slash thespoilerwarning, where Chris and I are having more and more embarrassing fun each week playing oh, with yeah. photoshop <laughs> if, if, if i was on there i would definitely get the the, the facepalm emo- emoji from julius commented <laughs> for sure if i'm like photoshopped onto tom holland's face or something <laughs> like no no uh if, if you want to get a hold of us directly you can email fans at the or you can use the contact form on our site uh, music for this episode is going to come from the spider-man far from home soundtrack so hopefully you're enjoying that And with that, uh, the music that's playing is going to fade up. And when it fades out, we are going to be in full-blown spoiler territory. So watch out, because we're spoiling, obviously, Ren Game, but also everything about Spider-Man Far From Home, including the mid-credit and end-credit sequences. So you have been warned. All right. All right, and we're back. So now we are in full-blown spoiler section. Uh, Carson, since I just had to say a mouthful, I'm going to throw it to you. What would you like to talk about first? I guess we'll try to go in order. Um, Well, first of all, um, like I I alluded to or said, not alluded to, um, that I think this one definitely comes as closest to the Sam Raimi ones. I mean... Those will always, you know, those will always be my favorite uh, take on on this movie or this character, you know, this world. Um, I guess because they like, I, I mean, I just think they're all great. Like I, you know, obviously Spider-Man 2 is the best, universally beloved. The first Spider-Man was, 
you know, a watermark in uh, when it came out. And he, he definitely went the Godfather route with his sequels. Right, right. And then, yeah, totally. And then the third one is universally hated. But, we just pretend uh, it never happened. But honestly, like Godfather 3, it is not bad. It is actually, uh, especially now, considering a lot of the stuff that we get, it's way more... Uh, fun and live uh, livelier than and you know it's just got that like sam raimi extreme camp that uh, you know an energy that a lot of movies now are, are lacking so um i definitely will go to i mean i liked spider-man 3 when it came out too but especially now more uh but i mean i you know those are like the og ones so like they're always you know those will always feel but they are like legitimately good and i think that this far from home like gets to the heights of like some of those movies especially like kind of in the like the zaniness and the energy of those movies um it's by far the best of the new iterations of spider-man whether it be amazing spider-man um you know for me it is uh spider-verse obviously i feel like is I guess we'll just say live-action Spider-Mans. Um, yeah, Spider-Verse is kind of in its own class, I think. Right, right. Um, so that, for sure. Um, and then, obviously, I can't really take credit for this, but I agree with it wholeheartedly. I was on Reddit looking for something and saw about this movie. And I'll, I'll, I'll bring it up now, because fuck it. It was in the very, very, literally very beginning of the movie. Um, so at the beginning of the movie, we see Sam Jackson and Kobe Smulders in Mexico checking out one of the elemental creatures or whatever. It looks very much like Sandman, but I don't yep. think it's supposed to be. I wonder if they are. I think there are Spider-Man villains that are very similar to the elementals. And the director was kind of like having his cake and eating it, too, by getting yeah. to kind of wink at the villains without actually having to make them. Yeah. So we get like literally in between the Sony logo and the Marvel logo, we get this like cold open of Jake Gyllenhaal showing up and being like, you don't want any part of this, like from the trailer. (laughs) And he like shoots the fucking green lightning out. And then the Marvel logo comes up. Um, So I don't know if you noticed, but I I did like literally right before the Sony logo comes up, it like goes pixely. And it's like a like a really quick flash, huh. and um, at first I was like, "Oh fuck!" Like, is something wrong? Um, but then the movie started, and I was like, "Okay, clearly not." Um, but then looking back, I was like, "Oh, that was clearly like some fucking like a little subtle, hologram reference." Yeah, like a subtle like what you're about to see isn't true. <laughs> like you know, yeah. um, so I was going on Reddit to see if anyone else had picked up on that, which I couldn't find anything. Um, and but I did see this one person um, say that this movie reminded them of a Disney Channel original movie from the early aughts, and I think <laughs> that that is not only the best way to describe this movie, but the best way to to describe John Watts, the director's style. Like I feel like immediately I was like, well, that's it. That's what. That's the John Watts energy that. I've been trying to say all this fucking time when I've talked about clown and cop car and obviously Spidey Ho and this guy just did it. So yeah. And then of course, uh, Sarah immediately came up with the a plus pun of John 
Watts, W-A-U-G-H-T-S. So we have that. <laughs> I like it. Um, so uh, Disney Channel original movie, yes. I yep. think that's what this movie is totally like. If it had come out then, I could totally see uh, even Stevens era Shia as Peter Parker. I was about to say that even be, Stevens feels like yes, the touch point for it. That would be that would be great. I, I think so, Tom. So I think. Okay, oh, sorry, go, you go. go no, no, you go ahead. I, I was about to say I, I think that gets to the first thing that I really enjoyed about this movie is the way it does high school drama. I feel yeah. like it was so good at it, like the stakes of having to sit next to the cute girl on the plane, the dude, feeling that... <laughs> that like if you don't swoop right at the right moment, you're going to miss out on everything. That, dude, well, we we taught we I jokingly referred earlier Martin Starr saying perfume allergy, but that shit was like way too real. Yeah. <laughs> that whole no, I, I felt like yeah aftershocks I, I felt memories of high school and junior high creeping in already and i think tom holland like totally sells it that he at the same time can be a superhero who saves the world and he is legitimately afraid that if he's not you know on aol instant messenger at 9 p.m on a thursday <laughs> right. the girl isn't gonna fall in love with him anymore and she's gonna go after someone else yeah totally um which is how Spidey Ho was, and that's how the kids were in Cop Car. So, like, uh, you know, um, yeah, so, like, that is totally the vibe of this movie and the vibe of his movies, um, what he brings to the movies. And that's obviously why I feel like this movie, like uh, the Guardians movies or Black Panther or Iron Man 3 stand out the most because they feel like they have the biggest voice. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like Watts, Watts, Gunn, and Coogler are the people we need for Marvel. I don't even include Shane Black anymore because I feel like Marvel just fired him. <laughs> yep. <laughs> he, he, like, fucked it up so big that it was not, like, bad, but, like, it was just too good. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so how yeah. did you, like, so after the Pixely logo what we get is basically the intro of the school after the snap, which we now know is called oh, the blip. Oh, dude. That was... So... <laughs> dude, like that a very was Tim so and kind of like video sketch. That was so fucking funny. First of all, like the bodyguard theme of the Whitney Houston song. And yeah, we get Andrew Rice and, you know, doing the school report and it's with the fucking like horrible keyed out uh green screen and yep. the like the getty image from mark on the on the <laughs> picture still oh man ah it was good yeah, and yeah. i think the whole thing because at the end of endgame like i was thinking how are they going to handle this like oh, half the, of the people in the world were snapped forward five years well, how are they going to make yeah. a high school drama and the answer is they're just going to kind of like acknowledge it and laugh at it and then move on and it's yeah. perfect <laughs> like, like well, they did it exactly right I thought of that too because I was laughing, you know, like after after Ren Game came out, and obviously the trailers for this were already out. So people online, of course, were already like, "But how can they be high school still?" It's like, oh gosh, it's like they're gonna explain it. Like, come on, like you know they're gonna they're gonna address this. Um, yeah, and I and they did literally in that like minute or two minute span, and then like yeah, like that was just like all right, that happened, and then that was it. They move on, and they have a you know, laugh about it. Um, yeah. So that, that was a already, you know, a great start, obviously. Yeah. And, and they uh, kind of scuttle all the like 
unnecessary exposition out of the way early. Like, the other big question in the Marvel Universe is, like, in a world with Thor and Captain Marvel, why do we need these other characters? You know, it's Chris's Iron Man 3 suit dilemma. Oh, right. um, and the answer is they just take one or two lines to be like, she's gone, he's gone, you're the <laughs> only one here, deal with it. And, like, that's all I need, right? Like, make right. it a self-contained movie that doesn't bring all the other heroes into it. It's fine. Yeah, I don't I don't need a, a fancy explanation. It's like what they did was totally fine. Though they um, did the the way Samuel L. Jackson handles the question about Captain Marvel and he kind of snaps like don't say her name. That was an interesting <laughs> hint for something that was only going to be revealed in the like end end credits. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well there's a lot of like deception happening in this movie. Yeah, uh, a, a lot of like twit where they're like, "Oh, you thought it was this, and then it was this." Um, pulling back the curtain, which, well, before we, I guess before we get to that, um, I mean, I, I've, I've enjoyed Tom Holland as Peter Parker. Um, you know, I thought he was obviously the bright spots of like when he showed up in Civil Bro, and um, you know, and obviously in the in Homecoming. But like I don't I just I don't something about him in this movie he like I guess he just really like came into the character it was just like everything he was I was like yes like like there are like Tobey Maguire will always be the OG but like this was like a, like Tom Holland is Spider like this is he is it like he's doing yeah. it and like everything that he was like the line deliveries and everything he was saying. When he had that fucking eyes wide shut mask on, he was just like, I, <laughs> yep. he's like, I can help. I'm really strong and sticky. Like that kind of <laughs> shit was like so funny. The chemistry that he has with Zendaya, like, oh, just so good. I'll have like, I'll watch that. Like that in in and of itself is like the best rom-com of the year. And they do awkward so well, like not in like a cringe, cringe way, but in a like you relate so hard to their awkwardness. I, yeah. I really like them together. I would watch any rom-com that they do together. Oh, yeah. And, of course, with uh, Andrew Rice and Jacob Batalon, their yep. side romance that they have <laughs> is super funny. That was so Disney Channel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, so, okay. Yeah, so all of that stuff, like, chemistry is off the charts. Yeah. Black Dahlia, like the murder, great. Zend Zendaya is perfectly like everyone was perfectly cast already but then it's just like like i guess because it's the sequel so we already know and it's just like it's just like okay now we're we're here like you know it's already yeah, they, been they hit their established groove, like, yeah Ma martin Starr gets to just be funny in this movie oh i love i laughed so hard at a line when he's on the plane and he's stuck next to tom holland were you talking he about says, his like, wife <laughs> yeah his wife pretending to blip <laughs> Which is That's like, good. and then JB Smoove is there too. Oh, oh my, okay, well, yeah, him and JB Smoove are like the perfect, like, comedic teaming. Yeah. Like, and like, <laughs> JB Smoove as like a conspiracy theorist <laughs> on top of that, which was already fucking hilarious. So, yeah, him throwing off, as a man of science, it's definitely witches. Like, him and the witches shit was definitely, I was like, yep. oh, that's a funny joke. Like, that's kind of like, and then they keep going with it, and I was like, okay, this is even better. Um, my my one complaint is he didn't tell Spider-Man to tear uh, tear the bad guy a new asshole. It would have been a great Kirby <laughs> Enthusiasm uh, well, moment. Well, he had 
There was a very, it was very curb when they walk into the opera house. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he was just like, they look like they're about to, like, they look like everyone got out. <laughs> like, like, his interaction there, that was very, like, a curb, a curb moment for sure. I, I like to think he never gets a script for anything. They just, like, have him come in and say no. whatever comes to mind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But okay, so we're, we're burying the lead, though. The, the lead, I think, is full-on Morph Vandewalt, Velvet Buzzsaw, oh. Jake Gyllenhaal in this movie. <laughs> Just give me... It. It's basically like if, if Lou Bloom left the company he started at the end of Nightcrawler and just failed up. Like, he kept going. Yeah. Like, like I've got to make my own disasters now. Right. Like, yeah. that's, that's a total Lou Bloom move, for sure. Um, so, okay, did you know anything about Mysterio before this movie? I only knew that he was a villain. Mm-hmm. So when they were kind of showing him in the the trailers as like uh like as an ally, I was like, "Oh, I guess they're doing like a different take." Um but when the movie starts and Jake Gyllenhaal is pretending to be on their side, on the good side, there's like like he's playing it like very off and you're just like, "Man, I yeah. wish I wish uh, Gyllenhaal would like really go at this like how I'd expect him to uh, like really like go for broke on this and they're like you're like uh, like it's cool that he's in it but this is kind of like eh. and then when they reveal like what he's really up to that he is indeed the villain it's so funny like when he when Tom Holland leaves and like the second he he's gone his, he's like, just, ten minute monologue. He's just, no, but no, like, not even that. Like, the second he's gone, he's immediately at a ten. He's just like, get this fucking thing <laughs> off me. Yeah, okay, we got this. Like, he's just, all of a sudden, he's just, he's in, like, fucking, like, I was like, like this is what I want in this fucking movie, you know? Like, that's I, what I feel I like want. Gyllenhaal is the new Nick Cage. Like, he has these, like, movies where he just cranks it to this ridiculous extreme, and I love it. Oh, he's definitely doing the Nick Cage style of acting yeah. for sure. Um, but yeah, like the, so, like that twist is a pretty good twist. I mean, it's it's kind of it's kind of reminiscent of like the Mandarin reveal. Yeah. Um, but it's pretty fucking crazy that like you know he they make Mysterio in this like a guy that's basically like a disgruntled employee of Tony Stark. Yet again, like uh, like in the last movie, like like in the Vulture, right? The vul- the Vulture was fired oh, by right. Tony. Yes, uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah that's right. Um, yeah, yeah, he worked for him or some something. He was connected to him somehow. Um, and honestly, like a fucking in the first Iron Man, like the reason he got killed or attacked was because the terrorists got his equipment or you know, like that was like. Yeah. It's like the stuff that he made, like, you know, or the people he interacted with or the stuff that he created ended up coming back to him, biting him in the ass or whatever. But anyway, yeah, um, even in death, he is his own worst enemy. Like he's always he's always the yeah. he's the like fatal anti-hero. And like he got his big moment right, right in Endgame. Well, well earned, I yeah. thought. Like I, I still felt it even after all the ways that he's fucked up over the years. Um but I feel like in this movie, we're really just starting to reckon with, like, okay, we've done the deifying of him. You know, obviously Tom Holland misses him. 
now let's go back and remember all the terrible things about his plans. <laughs> and like the whole Edith premise in this movie, like he has just thousands of drones. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. I was like, well, of course, you know, even in death, he is the hero. Yeah. Uh, Edith. Yeah, but he's still, he's just making the same mistake over and over again, right? It's, yeah. this is S.H.I.E.L.D. all over again. This is the idea of, like, way too much power being wielded by one person, and it always goes wrong. Yeah, so, yeah, it is It is funny. Like, I mean, I didn't even think of that until literally just now of, like, this has been happening to him since fucking movie one. Yeah. Um, Ultron is his fault also. Right, exactly, yeah, also his fault. Um, uh, yeah, like, and I will say that that was, even though I feel like it was, you know, it was pretty, uh, predict or not predictable, but like, I feel like you knew it was happen it was going to happen, right. but the, uh, him dying obviously as a way to cap off everything was the way to go. I was like, like, you know, I was pretty indifferent on that, but like the fact that they actually went through with it. You know, like even Christopher Nolan couldn't kill off Batman. It was like they yeah. fucking killed they killed him off. Like that's it. So like the fact that they did it was something to appreciate. Um But anyway, in this, Jake G is you know, he's the disgruntled employee and he's got a bunch of other disgruntled employees together to, you know, to make this uh, to use these drones to make, you know, these illusions that, like, the these elemental creatures are actually real and shit. Um, and honestly, it gives us one of the, maybe the best callback in this whole f- universe is Peter Billingsley returning yep. as his c- minor character in the first Iron Man. <laughs> um, Ralphie from A Christmas Story is coming yeah. back. So yeah, that was amazing. So that was that was great. Like that was like and it was like one of those things where, you know, we always get like a cameo like this, you know, and it's usually from a character. It's like a cap. It's like Cap makes a cameo or Loki or whatever. And you're like, OK, yeah, uh, you know, we get it. It's connected. You know, it's always like kind of like. Uh, and but this was like a legitimately unexpected layer or, you know, twist to it. Which yeah. also, I mean, it made me, like, that's why I'll always say, like, you know, I know everybody hated the Mandarin twist, like, the the fans hated it because it went against the comics, but it's like, like, they managed to keep that a secret, and, like, it was a fucking $200 million blockbuster movie, and you were, like, fucking surprised, like, that never happens anymore and that was the same summer where they kept fucking trying to tell us that benedict cumberbatch wasn't con it's like we know he's fucking con like tell (laughs) us like they managed to keep that under wraps but they couldn't do the con thing it's like especially since it was so close to that it was like dude marvel did it like i don't know how you guys dropped the ball (laughs) like um so i feel like this movie kept its secrets pretty well like of course like you mentioned i didn't i didn't know anything about mysterio it was kind of obvious that Hall. the moment the movie starts, it's clear he's not going to be a hero, right? And even in the trailer, I kind of felt like, if he's just a co-hero, why is he, like, doing the interview circuit with Tom Holland, right? Like, there's got to yeah. be a bad guy in this movie they could find. Um, but 
even even so, I did not go into this movie knowing there was going to be any kind of twist or any kind of like sudden reversal in the way things were going. And so when I first started watching it, and this is why I asked you about the CG, even with the elementals, like the water fight in Venice, mm-hmm. I like it looked kind of hokey, but in a way that I really liked, actually. <laughs> like, like, like weirdly, even before I knew that it was all drones and holograms and the whole thing was kind of, like, meant to be an overblown production, I was on board already because it kind of felt like a like a campy, big superhero movie. Yeah, I mean, there was definitely that, like, going back, like, thinking about that after the the reveal happened. Um, but th- that was actually the, the, the water... Uh, fight scene was one of the scenes where I actually like I thought the projector was fucking up like I swear there's like little subtle like hints in that scene where things aren't what they seem and I was like Hmm. what the fuck is I'm like am I just losing my mind or what like um so anyway you know because I just thought I was distracting myself um which I am prone to do in movies but um yeah so that was, yeah, like, I know what you're saying, um, but it is funny how, like, it's almost like a, it's definitely not an in-joke, and it's definitely not a troll, but, like, it kind of feels that, like, like, how, like, all of it is fake, and it looks super fake, like, I mean, and, and, like, the fact that, like, all of Marvel's CGI has looked pretty fake, um, and yeah, and I, and I think funny. it's very intentional. Yeah. Like, I, I was actually wondering, so, you know, this is a joint thing with Sony and the MCU. Who has final say on everything? Is it purely MCU? Or, pure like, like you must know behind the scenes a little bit how they do that. Well, for this, it's both. It's, okay. they have, uh, or I think, no, no, sorry. Uh, Sony does have final say, but Marvel has, like, most of the creative control. Yeah, because it, which... it kind of felt like Sony like digging on Marvel a little bit. Like the people want yeah. bigger and bigger heroes. You have to keep delivering them to the world. And Jake Gyllenhaal's Mysterio is kind of like the voice of that taken to a logical extreme where he's the guy who is like, okay, we need a bigger monster of the week and another monster of the week and now an even bigger one that's going to take over all of London. And like, yeah. it feels like a metaphor for the MCU, right? For the like, yeah. the big CG spectacle where they're all very similar. You know, all the elementals are like basically the same monster just with different, you know, different elements that they're controlling. And yeah. I, don't, I really liked it as a kind of a meta commentary on the Marvel, the predicament that Marvel has gotten itself in. Right. And then how he keeps saying, like, I need an Avengers level threat. Yeah. You know, everything has to keep getting bigger. Yeah. Like, yeah. And it was super funny that like in the big, like final uh, action scene, like the third act action scene, he's basically just wearing a fucking mocap suit. Like he's just doing the whole, like that was what was super funny is he's just in like a mocap suit. And he's just like, Janice, do you have that suit? Like, (laughs) like I was like, Oh my gosh, this is fucking great. Like I I was like, I, I, I mean, I kind of jokingly say a lot or I have said a lot, but honestly it's true. Like, like these fucking apes movies. I totally would rather just see Andy Serkis in the mocap suit. Like, if they just showed me the movie with the with the uh, with the raw footage of just them in the suits, I'd be like, 
already better. I'm already on board with that. Like, I can accept that more than what the actual CGI ends up being. And I do um, think when when this movie embraces the, like, peek behind the curtain and you actually see the drones and the projectors and the people just, like, controlling it, I, I loved it. I thought it was great. Oh, yeah. Like, even when it doesn't perfectly make sense, I, I didn't care. Like, I really liked to... I know production-wise they can't have, like seen spider-verse and then gotten an idea but i feel like the the hologram sequences when mm. uh mysterio has uh peter parker and he's just going through this dream like kind of you know he's falling from one place to another and the scenery keeps changing right it yeah. felt as close to animation as i feel like one of these movies could get and i thought those were great i i really loved that part of the movie yeah, that was super cool. Like, and it was kind of, it was also like kind of funny. And again, like, I don't think it was supposed to be a dig, but it was just super funny how like that that scene starts off with Tom Holland and Sam Jackson walking into this like really nice like I guess like some sort of like shield looking building or whatever um, with like you know it's like really high tech looking and cool and sleek and stuff. And, um, and then when it's revealed that it's actually Mysterio and then everything vanishes and, and then it really, and then you see that it's just this fucking gray concrete, like abandoned, <laughs> it's um, just the Marvel color building. grading, <laughs> right? It's just the Marvel, like a typical Marvel showdown in a fucking bland ass concrete warehouse. Uh, area. Yeah. Warehouse. <laughs> Craft <airport>. beer place. <laughs> like, uh, like weird poop planet thing in Infinity Brunch or whatever, you know, you're just like, yeah. yeah and you is... compare that to like how bright those sequences are where it's like bright green and bright blue and pure black that he's in because it's all fake. And then compared to the reality of Marvel, it feels like I, I want to stay in the fake world longer. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing that obviously the reference point that we talked about the, this video that, I feel like I've brought up in the past, um, but I told Steven, I told you to watch it. Yeah, why um, do Marvel movies look kind of ugly? Right. It's this guy, Patrick Willems, who I don't know if he's like a movie blogger or what, but he did a video essay on the, the look of the Marvel movies. And I've tried to reference this because this, this video is like from like 2016 or so. It's, so it's like three years old almost. Um and I think it's like, you know, a lot of these video essays you see online are like pretty dumb and like, you know, like they can they can just like be a bunch of people that devolve into just rants and shit. Look, or my, my favorite are the ones that are trying to highlight like how cool cinematography is. And it's like, look, Wes Anderson movies are perfectly symmetric. And it's like, <laughs> no shit. That's like 101 of pointing a camera somewhere. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like the guy trying to tell you like this, you know... Like, some guy who's seen, like, two movies trying to tell you, like, why The Shining is, like, this is a metaphor for this. And you're like, fuck you. Like, whatever. Um, so, anyway, I feel like this video is a very, like, thoughtful and detailed uh, dive into why these movies look the way that they look. Um, I have brought this up many times in the past when we've reviewed the Marvel movies and I've always used the DC movies as comparison uh, just because they have, you know, obviously been 
the other superhero big superhero movies that are out at the time but honestly it's just like a comparison to just how movies were uh, just how movies used to look like all movies used to be shot on film and they all used to have that look um depending on obviously you know there are people like you know obviously people like Zack Snyder who have they still use color grading in their movies um but obviously the best color grading you can get is if you shoot on film um and this this video uh, maybe we can get Chris to link to it because in case people want to watch it yeah we we um, can put it in the show notes yeah, but this video really breaks down why um, the Marvel movies look the way that they look. And it's so funny because, like, I know that, like, when I brought it up, I feel like Chris is, like, a little confused. He always is kind of taken aback when I and, – and obviously I will say, you know, I always say, like, I'm, I do a poor job of explaining it. Because, like, in my head, you know, it makes sense if I tell Sarah, like – you know the marvel look it's like okay we get it we know and obviously like it's like trying to explain it sometimes is just like so fucking fucked up so like this video really does a great job of explaining and for me i think you know the 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 subjectivity of it is uh you know I or I'm sorry, the objectivity of it is that there is an objective difference between the look of Marvel movies and just regular movies. But let's just mm-hmm. say for comparison, DC movies. So there is an objectively different look from the DC movies to Marvel. Now, subjectively, which one do you prefer? I obviously prefer the look of the DC movies and just how movies used to look um before most of them were shot digitally now obviously this video does bring up a lot of good counterpoints is that there are a lot of movies that are shot digitally that look great like yeah. mad max fury road uh pacific rim was the other one he talked about uh and obviously i think this was done a little too early but the john wick movies are like a really great example of like what you can do to manipulate the look of of digital um and you know they go he goes in i like how he goes in and to, to tell you like you know yeah like when you shoot digital it's like this fucking like raw ass footage that looks bland and then you're supposed to manipulate it later to make it look more like film um and i think you know marvel has perfected this look where since i guess avengers the first avengers um, is when they started shooting their movies on digital with the same camera and and then they they color grade it to all you know to make it all look like we're in one universe which is great i mean like they got a formula and if it ain't broke don't fix it you know mm-hmm. so but obviously that look is just so unappealing to my eyes you know and it is interesting how he says, you know, like the first couple mar like Iron Man, Iron Man Two, Thor, um, like those movies were shot on film, and Captain America was uh, mostly shot on film, and they look great. Like those are the best looking of the ones. Because and it's funny how in this movie 
when they cut back to Iron Man 1 of Jeff Bridges yelling at Peter Billingsley, like, he made this in a cave, you know, that line. Um, and they cut to that footage and you're like, holy shit, like Iron Man's old. Like, it's like when, it's like when it's like the period movie, like where it's set in the eighties, you know, and then they cut to like the real news footage and you're like, that doesn't look anything like that, (laughs) you know? And you're just like eight, 1980s. Yeah. More like 80 minutes ago, you know, this movie doesn't look anything like the eighties. Um, so it was kind of like, it was kind of like that, uh, situation where they cut to Iron Man. You're like, oh shit, a real movie. Um, a real there is movie. a pretty stark difference in those flashbacks, especially when it cuts back to Iron Man one and two. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like even I noticed that, and I am not—I don't have the same like, like I can see the color differences, but I don't usually like feel it that much. I kind of snap into like the rhythm of a movie, and then the rest of it is like it—it's it, like the key of a song. I can just like forget it after a little while. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it, in this movie. Um, you know, uh, I don't know where I was going. Well, anyway, anyway, that's the main, the main point is that it comes down to which look do you prefer? Obviously, I think this look is unappealing, but the strengths of the movie are not in the visuals. Like it's in Mm -hmm. the characters and the humor and, and the actors. Um, and I think it can overcome that just like a lot of the other Marvel movies have done so. Um, and uh, I feel like this one, Far From Home, looks like uh, like noticeably but ugly than than most Marvel. Like for some something about it, it was like it was like noticeably more like ugly looking than um, than some of the even some of the other recent Marvel movies. Um, and and it's I, kind see, of, I, I didn't feel that. Like I definitely felt the Disney thing you were talking about, but I felt like the the gang travels through Europe in the like vacation movie. It yeah. like the look and feel kind of matched that for me. Like it did feel, it looked a little bit like TV, but that's kind of what I want from a yeah, movie but, about I high mean, schoolers. Yeah. But even the TV of like the Disney channel, those Disney channel movies back in the day, I mean, even those were shot on film. So they mm-hmm. look, they look good. Like, I think yeah. it's just comes down to the richness in the colors, you know, like the, the, in the in the Marvel movies, like they they strip away that, and it, everything like there's no like true value blacks, you know, and it's like that sort of like fucks with your head a little bit. Uh, you don't get like that richness of it, um, and it's a kind of that gray, like that blandish, you know, the concrete look that I've talked about. Um, yeah. and, and, it's and I like, feel like it isn't it, it isn't only color though. Obviously, that's the the big thing that they all share. But I feel like like you said, these movies. Not only are they not mostly about the visuals, I feel like I can't think of any moment in any Marvel movie where like the director luxuriates in like the visual of a thing, right? Like oh, yeah. the lighting no, no. of it or the look and feel or framing it just right. I feel like no. that like they never do that. <laughs> They're well, that's just like why... cut that part and move on to the plot and the characters. Well, that's why I feel like, you know, the when the voices of a director uh, come through in a Marvel movie, it's because of their strengths, like James Gunn as a writer, yeah, like his humor, you know, and and stuff like that. Um, you know, they're not going to let Zack Snyder take the helm of a Marvel movie and let him make it look the way that you know, like it, they're not going to let someone like that do a Marvel movie because they're going to want to make it look like their movies. 
and they obviously want to control the look. So it's like all about, you know, the one look. And again, it's like, that's, they got it down to a science. So it's like, that's what's, that's working. Um, but I think like the, the tone is obviously like the tone feels old, like the tone feels Disney channel. Like, but the look is obviously that, that it just doesn't look that way. It, It doesn't have that where you're just like, man, I just wish there would be like, it would just be a lot, a little better to look at, especially like since, I mean, I thought like, you know, they're all, they're all in these like, uh, really cool, like European locations mm-hmm. and like, it all just looks like really bland. Like I was like, did they even go there? Like, it looks like they were on like, you know, a backdrop or something. Yeah. The like, universal lot or something. Yeah. Like, I mean, I mean, I'm sure some of it was, but I mean, they, I mean, I know that they, they were filming in Venice. Like they filmed in these places, but it, it didn't feel like they did. You know, it was like so weird. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. And, and to me, I think the the premise of this movie makes that matter even less because it's all a little bit fake, you know, like everything, like yeah. their tour is fake, right? They're, they keep being yeah. s- like shuffled around because Nick Fury, who's not really Nick Fury, wants them to be in the right place at the right time. And every event that they go to is attacked by like a fake bad guy who is thwarted way too easily by like a way too fake looking good guy. And like, I guess in with all of that, it kind of makes it like if ever there was a movie where I don't care how it looks, (laughs) I feel like this is that movie, especially when the hologram scenes, I feel like do actually look genuinely really good because they play with the look and feel and because it's pure CG, right? They they get to, they don't have that same issue because they're actually just generating the whole world from scratch. So like, black is really black as far as I can tell in the dream sequences because like there's no ground truth world to be correcting from. Yeah, well, I mean, those did look the best of the whole movie. But even then it was like, think of like the dream sequence in Batman v Superman where, you know, Ben Affleck is fucking in the Mad Max, you know, Fury Road type wasteland. And he's like that type of dream sequence for, you know what I mean? So like that, um, like those visual differences. Um, but it is funny that in, you know, I wanted to bring this up, but it is, you know, it is funny that this is the movie where they play into the fact that it's all fake. So it's like, it almost works in, in their favor, like you said. Um, so it is kind of funny that that's, so you're just like, oh, all right, well, yeah, but still, still looks like you know pretty Marvel. Yeah. So, so speaking of fake and fake news, how did you and your crowd feel in the mid-credit scene oh, when yeah. it's revealed J.K. Simmons is back, baby, and he's basically Alex Jones <laughs> this time, spouting fake news for everybody? <laughs> that was fucking again, like the uh, Peter Billingsley cameo that was like a twist and you said something like i meant to say earlier you said like um you know you didn't know anything going in um i had heard a couple like i had heard from a few places where they're like there's a lot of twists and turns and shit Mm. and even then i was still like you know it was unexpected so i i feel like that overcame you know because a lot of times you're like you hear that and then when it happens you're like really like that was the twist um but this was like actual like legitimate surprise um and yeah that was that was great i mean that was like totally a 
I mean, I, I, I always, I think everyone has kind of been thinking like, okay, well, who are they going to get if they bring that character back? Because there's like nobody else that can play that role, you know? Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, I'm glad that they, I mean, cause everybody, like, even like when I saw it, it wasn't even that packed of a showing and people like went nuts. Um, yeah, it was, it was fucking awesome. And then I also was like, man, that's kind of like, that's kind of ballsy to have like the Daily Bugle be like fucking Infowars now or something yeah. like this is crazy. And then, but then I looked up online on like the Hollywood Reporter. They had like, um, it was like an article. It was like all the Easter eggs in Far From Home or whatever. And one of them was about uh, Jay Jonah. And they said in an in an iteration of the comics, there is a storyline where Jay Jonah Jameson runs for mayor of New York. And he wins, and he's like all anti Spider Man, and tries to like take him down, and then everybody's pissed at him, so they like they kick him out of office, and um, and then he like becomes this like uh, underground like controversial. They even say like an Alex Jones type figure. So I was like, oh, that's like in the fucking comics. Interesting. So I was kind of like, because I was kind of thinking like, oh, this is like some Mandarin shit. Like people are going to be pissed. And then it's like, oh, it's actually in the comics. So I guess they weren't. Yeah. I also just think it, it, first of all, I love the the gutsiness of dropping what is maybe one of the biggest twists in the movie in a mid credit scene, right? Like, yeah. I, like I think that's pretty cool. Uh, and also the way it tees up the next movie, that just felt very comic booky to me of like, I'm pumped for the next Spider-Man movie now. Um, yeah, it was like actually made you like instead of going like okay, like Thanos like, is one step closer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we gotta sit through this fucking credit scene again. <laughs> yeah, like well, I guess I'll have to do it myself. Yeah, but I also yeah. think just thematically bringing in the turning it into an Infowars type thing, it fits with like deception right the like right. we're in a different world we're in the post vox lux world now where right everything yeah. is ironic and you don't know how to take anything anymore well and, I even, like this movie is yeah. definitely playing with that as like the new generation the big I'm, problem now is like what yeah. is truth and what is reality and how do you turn public opinion when someone else already changed it one way yeah well which they showed right before that where jake gyllenhaal like he like fudge the the conversation that he has earlier with tom holland um and cho- he, uh peter billingsley chopped it up and released it as like yeah. make, making him look you know uh like he was the one responsible and like yeah like showing you how how easy it is to uh to change a story and um, the sad thing is like I, I feel like in a superhero movie like 10 years ago the resolution of that would be like the truth would come to light and the public right. loves Spider-Man again. But yeah. I feel like now, no matter what happens forever, at least like 40% of the country would just be convinced Spider-Man did it. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. You could never turn it around anymore. And I think that's well, going to be a constant thing going forward. Well, yeah, that's, I mean, yeah, that's like any, any news story now. It's like, well, it's like people barely read like the initial story. Like you think they're going to read the correction? Like, fuck yeah. no. Um, yeah, and then, um, uh, yeah, no, I even had the thought of, like, after it was over, I was like, oh, this is, like, weirdly, like, fits in with Vox Lux. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, it, it does a little bit. 
um yeah like this fucking like like everything's a joke now you know yeah um and, but, and like uh, if you think about it like batman has tread similar ground right like public perception of batman is often that he's bad and he has to deal with the fact that like he's being misunderstood but at least batman is dark right like seeing it happen to like little bright and bubbly peter parker it it feels different somehow like i'm I'm a little more into figuring out what they do with that next yeah like if 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 heath ledger joker did this to christian bill batman you'd be like oh yeah well of course Sure. You know, yeah. This you're Batman like, was oh. never going to find love anyway. No big deal. <laughs> well, well, but that, but also that would be like a move you'd expect mm-hmm. in that type of movie. In this, you're like, oh, he's fucking Tom Holland. Like, why, why are you fucking, why are you ganging up on him? Anyway, it's like kind of like that. We're just like, yeah. Yeah. Um, I also but, like how fast and loose the movie is with Tom Holland revealing that he's Spider-Man. It kind of felt like a callback to the I'm Iron Man thing uh, that Robert Downey does in the very first Iron Man, where like yeah. the identity a... is supposed to be a big deal, and then they're just like, no, nope, we're telling everybody. Yeah, no, I'm pretty sure that was intentional. Yeah. Like, I feel like, uh, I mean, I feel like this movie totally sets the stage for for Peter Parker to become the next Iron Man. Like, yeah. I, I feel like, I mean, I've, I've seen a, a few other people online say, say the same thing, which is it kind of seems like they're building towards making him the new Iron Man, and then they're going to introduce Miles Morales as the new Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, which would make total sense because Donald Glover played uh, Miles Morales' uncle in Spidey-Ho. Yeah. If... So they've already introduced that aspect of it. Yep. Um, so that would like that would make total sense. And, I mean, it was it was like super entertaining. Like when he's making his suit in like uh, you know the jet, and he's just like, "I love Led Zeppelin," shit like that. Um, you know, they brought back like the ACDC yeah songs and stuff. And, like there was that that all of that stuff worked. Um, and it, oh, that was the other thing. It was funny how like the one like splash of color in this movie was him walking through the tulip field, and then this like Favreau comes down in the fucking like big gray like poop jet, and it just like <laughs> like just crashes onto the tulip. Like <laughs> fuck you, fuck you, color. <laughs> there, there, there was a lot of good like humor in this movie of the, and it's always an undercurrent of the Marvel movies that like the superheroes and the machines and all the like equipment they bring with them are kind of like team america the world <laughs> and, yeah. and i feel like this definitely had that where like you know beautiful places are just being summarily destroyed by people who don't care yeah well i feel like like now everybody's just used to it they're like oh yeah fucking water monster you know whatever yeah. or, you know <laughs> it kind of they kind of make it seem that way um they're like somebody will save us. Somebody will take care of it. Yeah, like people um, don't care anymore. Like there was a line yeah. in this movie about how like they used to think Thor was magic, and now they study Thor physics in school. Like yeah, everyone yeah. has just been like, okay, yeah, superheroes are a thing. And like most movies, still make a point of having regular people be like shocked and awed when a supernatural thing happens in front of them. But this movie felt like the first one to me where everyone is just like expecting it, and like nobody really cares that much anymore. Yeah, that's why it was funny that like um, Tom Holland in this movie felt like completely different from 
like Tom Holland in Rengame, like Peter Parker mm-hmm. in like the Avengers movies, like like they're take like like the the snap or the blip or whatever the hell like you know they're like oh like Chris Evans all moping in the you know <laughs> like the the group meeting I was like oh it's been five years like it's all downer and then like you know this movie opens how it does and you're like yeah see they can like it's okay like we can poke fun at this like you know it's 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 just weird the the contrast between this and Ren game and how everything was i mean i i mean for legitimate reasons why it was taken very seriously but it is funny how in this it's like yeah it's like this was like a earth-shattering event and then here they're just like fucking brad davis was like a little kid and now he's like a huge glow up you know like that guy (laughs) it was just like they're just like oh like he's we we gotta take high school again we gotta take we're still in the same grade like everyone's just like whatever like you know (laughs) like that was funny like yeah i like it it's like i mean for better or worse like marvel for a long time has been pushing in one direction and there's a weight to that and it's a weight that some directors have managed to crawl out of and others haven't but they always had to like support this thing like take this big thing seriously and keep building it and i think by the time endgame came i feel like it paid it off really well but i still think it could have paid it off with like half the movies that it had <laughs> like like they oh, yeah. really everything was slaving toward that goal for a long time and having that finally end this movie feels like that everybody can unclench again and just be like okay we're we're superhero movies again now. Like we don't need yeah. to be about anything bigger than that. And I, and I feel like this movie really is a good like palate cleanser. Kind of like Ant-Man was a good like palate cleanser to all the ridiculous heavy movies before. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it just feels good. I hope they keep in this vein and like they can have the serious ones, right? They can have the Captain America type movies where like people take heroism very seriously and it's like a dour affair but i think like if you do at least a one for one type thing instead of like eight dour movies and one fun movie i I think it's going to be a lot more of an enjoyable franchise to watch yeah that's why it feels like so weird seeing tom holland in like the in the avengers and then in this like it it like that's why they, it feels like there's a weird disconnect. It almost feels like if they weren't referencing, you know, the fact that that Tony died and all this, like the the events that happened, like the fallout of that, like it, it almost feels like it didn't even happen. Like it was just like, yeah, like, oh, I'm just on vacation now, guys. Like, woo. Yeah. Like, and, and in a weird way, like, like Tom Holland's life in this movie, every time a Marvel thing happens, especially when he gets pulled in by like Sam Jackson or Kobe Smulders, it feels like we kind of feel the way he feels where we're like, Oh, this again, but it's just so like boring and stoic, you know? And it it really feels like this movie is trying to ease you like out of the boring stoic action and into the more like fun, bubbly personalities that you could actually have in a superhero movie. Yeah. Well, so then the other, um, the other final twist, I guess, is that, Sam Jackson and Kobe Smulders were not actually themselves the whole time. They were Ben Men and yep. his wife. Or, or, yeah, I, I don't even remember. Wife. Yeah, um, showing up from Captain Marvel, um, they were pretending to be them the whole time. 
And then Sam Jackson is really in chilling space. in some dun, dun, in, dun. <laughs> in some Valerian beach simulator in space. <laughs> also a simulation. Um, yeah, that was pretty good. I mean, I wasn't expecting that either. Um, not only was I not expecting it, I left in, during the credits. And uh-oh. so I only like online later, I saw somebody mention it. And I was like, wait, what? Sam Jackson wasn't Nick oh, you Fury. Up, and, man. Yeah, I know. So I feel like I need to watch it again just to see that like 30 <laughs> second payoff. The very, very, at the end of the, at the very end of the credits. Yeah. Um, no, it's a good yeah. twist, and it it does, like, help justify how he felt extra stilted in the movie. But again, just, like, Gyllenhaal being a, like, deceiver justifies why the action felt stilted. It's kind of, like, it works as subtext, even if you don't know that, right? Like, it, it's all, like, this is the old way, and then the new way is different, and, like, we vaguely mistrust the thing we used to take seriously. And I, I just think that's a cool... That's a cool way for them to go forward. Yeah. Um, and also this, this, the final post credit sequence, uh, is just another reminder that they did Ben man and all the scrawls or whatever they were, they did them in real makeup, but yep. they still didn't do Thanos in real makeup. <laughs> they did, ben, they could, they did Ben men. They did Karen Gillan. They all went me and Zoe Saldana. They couldn't yeah. put Josh Bowen couldn't get in the rubber suit like that. <laughs> we could have done it, guys. We could have done it. And this is a little off topic, but it is funny how we went to see the new Shaft movie, and the opening of that movie, it like they flash up like 1989, and it's Sam Jackson and Regina Hall, you know, bickering in a car, and it's just them. And you're like, fuck, there we go. Like, Sam Jackson could have just, once again, Sam Jackson could have just played himself in Captain yeah. Marvel. They didn't need to de-age him. He looks the same. They could have just put, he could have just, like, gave him a different hairstyle, and he could have grown a beard or something, a different beard, and we totally would have accepted it. We totally would have bought it. You know, we know it's the, supposed to be the 90s. We know it's supposed to be a prequel. Yeah. It's Sam Jackson. We got it. Like, just like done. Jude Law. Jude, it, it's yeah. 1999? Sure. Cool. Sure. Yeah. 1999 Jude Law and 2018 Jude Law in Vox Lux, exactly the same. I think um, you should petition for these movies to do like a reverse Lucas Star Wars, where like 15 years from now, they come out with a remastered version of all of your favorites, <laughs> where they're just the, practical effects instead the special, of CG. The special edition versions. <laughs> yeah. No, but I mean, it. I, I mean, I know, like, okay, like, we know that a lot of people worked hard to de-age Sam Jackson and Captain Marvel, but it's just so crazy how, like, just, like, this Shaft movie that cost, like, like, probably the catering of Captain Marvel, and they didn't need, you know, any of this stuff. It's like, we get it. Like, we totally buy Sam Jackson 30 years ago or whatever, you know? It's like, yeah. um... And it's, like, the same thing on, like, Better Call Saul. It's, like, that's supposed to be a prequel, and, like, nobody's, you know, it's all the same actors. And it's, like, yeah, we buy it, because it's, like, we know it's supposed to be a prequel. Like, we can we can, we can get behind it. Like, you know, if you just tell us, like, yeah, this is supposed to be the 90s and Sam Jackson younger. It's, like, okay, great. And it helps that Sam Jackson doesn't look the, or looks the same. 
Yep. So that's so another I'm, bonus. I, I'm with you, but I really like DH Sam Jackson. That was like <laughs> my favorite part of Captain Marvel. I mean, it it looked the least whack because he looks like they like he looks the same, you yeah. know. Like compared to uh, Clark Gregg in that, oh, you oh, know, man. yeah. <laughs> Like it, it, it ended up like working out okay because Sam Jackson still, like, what did they have to do? Like, not much, I would think, but I'm sure they did. Yeah, I feel like he's got some eye wrinkles now. They had to iron out. Yeah, but I mean, we totally would have bought it if he had hair and just you know a different hairstyle and everything. Yep. Like, all right. Yeah. Ah. <sighs> <sighs> And on that note, yes. we this is a a good. We're at like hour forty minutes now. We gave Chris a good little editing job to do while he's traveling. <laughs> I feel I feel yeah, good so about what we accomplished. We don't you know when Carson? this. I yes, I do. Um, we don't know when this will come out, but hopefully, sometime in the near future. Yep. Hopefully, um, before the lost episodes, the homesmen. <laughs> Aloha and Death yeah, of Dick Long. <laughs> they don't, yeah, what happened to that shit? Um, yeah, hopefully we'll they'll... see. I bet he's going to cut this part, but I, I think he's waiting for it to just get like actually released uh, now or something because okay. he knows that we missed the window. Yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully it doesn't go the way of those, but I don't think so. Yeah. No, because we both were really into the Death of Dick Long, so I think I think it'll come out. Yes. Well, that's good. Also, I didn't have to. I didn't have to bring up my Tarantino can. I reject your hypotheses <laughs> when we were talking about something. So that's good. Mm. Anyway, cool. Okay. Uh, see ya, everybody. In case Chris didn't already yeah. cut this like a half hour ago. <laughs> we're just gonna we're gonna do what we usually do and not know how to fucking end it. So bye. bye. Yeah. Hey everybody, it's Christopher Shinezi here. I am back. Uh, that is why you're listening to this episode. Um, I just finished the edit and I thought, hey, I'm sitting here in the studio finishing up the edit. Why don't I plug in a mic real fast and uh, maybe say a few things about uh, Spider-Man Far From Home. Um, so first of all, I'd just like to thank Stephen Miller and Carson Patrick for holding down the fort while I was gone. Um, I had a great time on my vacation. I brought a mic with me, was thinking maybe I'd get time to edit this episode and get it out to you guys sooner. But, you know, then I was thinking, you know, maybe Ireland doesn't need a friendly neighborhood podcaster. Uh, maybe I can just go have a vacation. Uh, so that's what I did. And uh, yeah, the second thing I wanted to say is Stephen Miller is absolutely correct. Um, the spacing of when we had recorded all of our SF Film Festival reviews and when we started filling in new contemporary reviews that were coming out, um, Death of Dick Long sort of just like fell by the wayside a little bit and I have been waiting and sitting on that episode and I will release it whenever the hell that film comes out. Um, we had a great time uh, watching the film and recording that review. So that will get um, put into the feeds eventually. So stay tuned to that. Um, but for now, I just wanted to say a few things about Spider-Man Far From Home. Um, if you've listened to many of the episodes leading up to it, uh, you may have heard some of the things about my journey leading into this film. When they released the first trailer for Spider-Man Far From Home, I was not having it. Part of that was maybe because it was around the time that I had seen Into the Spider-Verse. 
and that film was absolutely absolutely phenomenal and we saw this first trailer which for obvious reasons they couldn't put a lot of what this movie is about into that trailer it was just a thing where um they had to put the very beginnings of the movie in there and just everything about what i was seeing did not seem um that fun when we got the most recent of the trailers where i could acknowledge the events at the end of endgame i was kind of like okay now I see kind of what they're doing and being a huge fan of Endgame and really loving Tom Holland as Peter Parker and Spider-Man. Uh, I was more optimistic and kind of getting excited for the film. Um, I still wasn't quite sure about this whole Mysterio thing and what was going on there and what the big bad of the film was going to be. But I was still kind of excited to see it. And knowing that things were tying into um, Endgame and how Spider-Man was potentially going to be be taking on the mantle of um, who Iron Man was and who Tony Stark was, I was pretty excited and very scared for spoilers. So I was flying out on a Wednesday. This film came out on a Tuesday, and I made sure to get a seat um, to see this right before I left. And uh, I did. And you know what, guys? I fucking loved this movie. Um, Spider-Man Far From Home is fucking amazing. I've said it. That's nothing new. You guys have all known this for weeks. But uh, it was an amazing film. And I think I really wasn't prepared for how great it was on how many levels it was. I I love the high school story of this kid. I love the continuation of Endgame to this. I love the weight on the shoulders of Peter as he tries to um, both mourn the, his mentor that he has lost and also kind of think about whether or not he can stand in the footsteps of Tony Stark moving forward in this series. Um, you know, and, and I, I really love Jake Gyllenhaal as an actor and I love the roles he, he chooses. And even up until partway through this film, I couldn't for the life of me understand why Jake Gyllenhaal would want to be in this film at all. Um, and then we get to this amazing fucking twist. And I was like, oh, duh, this is why he had knowledge of the script. That's why he wanted to do this. Like, nothing about the character before the twist is something that is that exciting or makes me think that anybody would especially somebody like Jake Gyllenhaal would want to play this role. And then when you get into the meat of what the role is and what it does, it's like, oh, oh, duh. This was a brilliant choice to be this character. And I really, really love what happens with Mysterio and how um, just not only just the twist, not only just the way it ties back to the previous films, not only just the way it presents um, the reality of who he is versus what we're seeing in the film world, but... I just, having it be this person who can basically create anything around Peter and force Peter to deal with things that he wouldn't be able to deal with under normal circumstances, there was just, the way they played with it, it made it just just amazing all around. Like, the combat in the world when it's sort of like this dream world that he's fighting in, it, it was really like Peter was trapped in a nightmare that he couldn't get out of, and putting a character who is as both young and naive, but also strong and powerful through all the gadgets that he has into this world where he is just psychologically outmatched by this impending um, force that 
you cannot really tell anymore whether you're in this dream world, as I'll call it, or outside of it, or how many levels deep it can go. Just what was being created for him and the challenges that Peter had to go through made this, um, this, this film just incredibly enjoyable. I was eating it up. It's funny throughout. I just, I, I really love what this was. And when I walked to the theater, I was happier than I had been walking out of like any movie in recent time. And it just, Everything about this film was great, and uh, I'm just rambling, so I am going to take off. Um, thank you guys for listening to the episode. Um, thank you guys on the podcast for holding down the fort. I'll say that once again. And uh, yeah, we will see you guys all in future reviews. And um, yeah, take care. We will see you next time. <laughs>